Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, taping this on a Wednesday night. So you know what that means. Take Graphs is in session. Uh, America's favorite Major League Baseball podcast here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, which means coming to us live from Knox. Oh, wow. From New York City. I messed that one up. You're, yeah, not yet, Knoxville. That'll be next week. Next week. Mm. Uh, well, actually, the, the fun thing is next week, I fly out of... So I'm going to winter meetings uh, mm. next week, which is, is in Nashville, uh, mm. the city of, of, of brotherly love, as, as we all know and, and call it. Right. And I'm actually leaving on the Wednesday... Uh, winter meetings runs officially Sunday through Thursday, but most everyone clears out Wednesday because that's when they do the Rule 5 draft. Thursday is just kind of the everybody let's pack up and go. So mm. if we tape this as usual on Wednesday next week, mm. uh, by the time we do this, which is usually in the evening on Wednesday, I'll actually be back in New York. So I, I will not tape, unless we do something special, I'm not going to tape this in, in, in Nashville. Are you going to be in Knoxville at all or are you only going to be in Nashville? Uh, only in Nashville... Uh, you said Knoxville is what, like two hours away driving? Yeah, it's about two. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, there's just I'm I'm actually trying to figure out, and um, if if my boss is listening to this, no, you're not. Um, I'm actually trying to figure out is there any way I can kind of sneak out of winter meetings for a little bit and go check out Nashville proper because the, the winter winter meetings this year, as is the case uh, a lot of times, is being held in one of those enormous hotel complexes that cover like fifty thousand square miles. Mm. Uh, in this case, I believe Opryland is the name of the hotel. Um, okay. I actually just got an email from them a few days ago being like, come check out all, yeah, the Gaylord Opryland and Resort and Convention Center. Mm. Uh, they have a, a Christmas, bunch of Christmas stuff going on, including ICE, all capital mm. letters, I-C-E exclamation point, featuring the Polar Express mm. that is apparently a giant Christmas village filled with ice sculptures. Now, do I plan on getting way too drunk 
and barging my way into this thing uh, to take advantage of the Merry Snoopy Christmas Scavenger Hunt, the Gingerbread mm. Decorating Corner, Snowball Build and Blast. Ooh, a cup of hot chocolate and a souvenir cup. That sounds nice. Who is Daryl Warley? Is that a is that a country thing? I I, no should idea. I know I'm that a, name? He is a singer songwriter. He is a country music singer. Okay, yeah. The photos I look, the photos I've got here, he looks like <laughs> like a really genteel Kenny Rogers. Um, he he's looks apparently like he's gonna been do in a, a show. lot of uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah. So I, you know, but so it's not actually the, the winter meetings are, aren't really in Nashville. They're about I think the Opryland or whatever it's called is closer to the airport than it is to Nashville, the actual city. So, I mean, us, the Fangraphs crew, we're all going to be out there. Um, we're going to do a staff dinner at some point in Nashville proper. I am trying to recruit people to go get hot chicken because yes. I, I just want to see people in pain. That is funny to me. Um, but we'll see. I, I, I would love to, to get to an authentic old-school honky-tonk if those still exist. Yep. It'd be very cool to go get a big hat. I hear that's a thing you do when you go into the South, is you go get a big hat. Mm. Possibly cowboy boots of some kind as well, mm. which I find funny because Tennessee is not really a cowboy state, although plenty of future cowboys came from Tennessee. David mm. Crockett, obviously. Uh, uh, is Daniel Webster from Tennessee? I, I don't, you know, I'm just making stuff up now. He also wasn't a cowboy, but the point is... Winter meetings will be in Nashville next week. Your boy will be there along with all the other Fangraphs folks, but... You know, I un unless we change our recording schedule, I'll, I'll be right back here in New York next time too. It'll be okay. I yeah, mean, unless unless AJ Preller includes me in a trade for uh, in a Juan Soto trade, which you know AJ Preller, the winter meetings are just his. That, that is his spiritual home. It's where he goes to recharge, renew, and execute fifteen trades in the span of forty six hours. So I'm really excited to see what he does. I I think this is actually going to be a pretty active winter meetings. I think so too, but I also imagine like Jerry Depoto pulling up, and you see, and all the other GMs, and they just collectively like turn and walk the other way, like oh yeah, they're like don't let him see, us. don't let him see us, don't let yeah. him see us. He's gonna offer again. No, 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 no. no, no. We, uh, Jerry, hey, no, I'm sorry, I've, I've missed your call. What's that? Uh, uh, another reliever? Hey, I'm sorry. Listen, I gotta go. Daryl Warley's playing, and I really don't want to miss this show. Um, yeah, I think oh I think God. it's gonna be an active trade. Logan Gilbert for stuff. wait, uh, wait, yeah. Okay. That's the thing. I think this will be a more active trade winter meetings than signings winter meetings. Mm. Uh, if only because I think my my guess, and I'm I, I'm not uh, Ken Rosenthal or or Jeff Passan or, or even John Heyman. Like I don't have any sourcing anywhere. All I'm doing is just kind of guesstimating based on what we've seen so far. But except for Aaron Nola, who pretty clearly jumped the gun. Because he, it seems like he very much just wanted to stay in Philly, and the Phillies were able to make him an offer that made that happen. Mm. Um, I think the rest of the market is going to depend on, uh, and I should say, Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray as well, because I think the Cardinals made him an offer where he and his team were like, "Yeah, there's no point in turning this down." Mm. Um, I think the market is going to revolve on Otani signing and Yoshinobu Yamamoto signing, because those are the two marquee guys who I think, especially for contenders are the focal point for a lot of offense or for a lot of uh, a lot of teams right now. Otani on the offensive side, Yamamoto on the pitching side, both those guys are going to pull down. I think it's pretty safe to say Otani's contract is going to break 400 million dollars. I think it's pretty safe to say Yamamoto will be taking home 
250 million plus. I think those are going to be significantly, I think, the biggest outlays of of the rest of the offseason. I think Blake Snell will probably end up maybe close to 200 million, depending on how desperate the market becomes if he goes after Yamamoto, which I imagine he will. Um, and on the hitting side, obviously, beyond Otani, it, it, it really is just Clay, uh, I almost called him Clay Bellinger. <laughs> That's his dad. Uh, Cody Bellinger, I think, is really the only guy on the offensive side where you're kind of, you know, you figure is probably going to crack that $150 million to $200 million range. I think there's some other guys who might get into the, I think Matt Chapman is a guy who might get $100 million. I think uh, there are a couple other guys on the pitching side. I think Jordan Montgomery would probably knows over $100 million. But I really think the the offseason is going gonna, is gonna to turn on what happens with Otani and what happens with Yamamoto. Yamamoto will not be at winter meetings. His representation will. Uh, the sense I think people are getting is that he's not going to sign until late December. Uh, Otani, who knows, the everything that's, everything that's been written about his free agency so far has noted that he really, really prefers things be kept quiet on the negotiating side. His team does not want anyone leaking details. Um, and assuming that that is a deal breaker for him, and it very much sounds like it is, uh, I think teams are going to be incentivized to stay as quiet as possible unless they are saying either we're out or uh, announcing it essentially, you know, the same time that a guy like Passan or Rosenthal would to say, okay, we got him, it's done, it's over. But I think with those two guys kind of holding up the free agent market, I think what you're going to see at winter meetings is a lot more on the trade side, particularly given all the smoke that we've got now surrounding not just Juan Soto, uh, but also, in particular, uh, Dylan Cease, and then, to I think, to a lesser extent, now Logan Gilbert. I, I mean, look, we, we've talked about Soto being traded on here a couple times now. I still think it, it's going to be... I still think the, the market is so limited for him because there only are a handful of teams that he really makes sense for. It's got to be teams that are now right in contention, that have a, a decent amount of prospect capital they can spend that are either okay with him being a one-year rental, which I think is probably not a lot of teams, or are willing to sign him to that big extension that, that he and Scott Boris would be looking for. As for uh, as for Cease, I think the belief, or I think the feeling probably is that unless you land one of Yamamoto or Snell, um, or depending what you see as his timeline and where you are on your contending timeline, Otani, there's not really another impact arm available on the market. You know, I like Jordan Montgomery a lot, but he fits more as a mid-rotation starter, kind of the kind of guy you want starting maybe your second or third game of the of the playoffs and not your first game. Um, I think he makes a lot more sense for a team like, well, I think he would have made sense for St. Louis. I think he makes, he was a, he was a Cardinal. I think he would have made, I think it would make a lot of sense for a team like Atlanta. Um, fun, amusingly enough, the Yankees could make sense for him too. But I get the sense that if you're looking for something closer to a top-of-the-rotation arm, you are probably, if you feel like you don't want to pay what Otani and Yamamoto are going to run you, and Snell as well, you're probably going to be asking the White Sox what they want for a season. Similarly, especially given the, the news that Blake Snell, who's a Washington State native, apparently really would love to go back to pitch, uh, to go pitch in Seattle for his hometown team, if the Mariners do decide to do that, which eh, the Mariners are just perpetually weird in this regard, uh, I could see Gilbert being the one tossed onto the market, if only because uh, they obviously have Luis Castillo locked down long term. George Kirby is young and still under and still cost control. Gilbert is really the guy I think that would make the most sense for them to offset any Snell uh, salary commitment. So we'll see. I think more likely than not, though, you are going to have AJ Preller, uh, the king of winter meetings, as I said, and Chris Getz, the the new general manager of the White Sox, 
probably going to be the most active guys uh, at winter meetings in terms of taking calls on their players. I would not be surprised if one of them got moved in this chunk of time. Again, I think I think by now there probably are a handful of teams who've probably figured we're not in on Otani. Yamamoto is going to cost an ungodly amount of money, and there doesn't seem to be any way to predict uh, who he is fa- who is kind of favored in that race. You know, it might make sense for a team that, again that has that prospect capital just be like, you know what, take it off the board. Cease is obviously a, a bit of a riskier arm, I think, but certainly has the upside that we saw in his. Uh, Cy Young caliber campaign two seasons ago and I think it's also pretty safe to say that Chicago is not very good at what they do when it comes to player development and that there may be you know a team like you know if you're Houston or Atlanta in particular or Los Angeles or the Dodgers that is to say you know you have the tools the capacity to unlock another uh, another uh, gear for for um Jeez, who was I just talking? I talked for so long, I forgot who I was talking about in the process. Dylan sees. Yep. Oh, and the, the one other pitcher name, I think, to watch for winter meetings is Tyler Glasnow, who's going to make, I believe, like 20 million plus this season. That's not that's not something the Rays are going to are gonna want to do, is give that much money to a guy in his last year of... of, of he's also uh, very handsome. He's very handsome. Our, our Cillian Murphy lookalike, mm-hmm. uh, Tyler Glasnow. I wouldn't be surprised, too, to see the Rays be at the center of something this this coming week. You know how much they love their their three-way trades. You know how much they love getting involved in other deals. Glasnow, too, I think is in that same tier of Cease and Logan Gilbert, where it's you know maybe a step down from a Yamamoto, maybe a, maybe a step down from Snell. But again, a guy where, especially if you're a pitching forward team, you feel good about being able to get more consistency out of him uh, than maybe Tampa's been able to. I think the although a lot of it... The problem with Glasnow, though, is like, it, he makes zero sense for a non-contender. No, no. But no, it's no, also... Whatsoever. Like, what even? I, there's part of me is like he's in the John uh, Carlos Stanton mold where it's like, hey man, um, when you're healthy, you're really good, um, but you have this issue where you're not available very much. Yeah, and we and kind that, of need you to problem. be available when it matters. So here's what's gonna happen: we're shutting you down until August, and <laughs> then you're gonna do some AAA starts to get you right, and then you're just gonna play the playoffs. That's your plan. You're, we're not going to see you. You can travel with us. We'll give you uh, some great meals. We'll uh, give you some good entertainment options. We'll set you up with a Regal Unlimited uh, for you to really enjoy what's uh, what's in theaters throughout the year. But you're not pitching until till August. Sorry, bud. Yeah, I just tell them, look, go go enjoy the summertime and the sunshine yeah. here in beautiful, scenic um, Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's funny that we talk about, you know, you've mentioned to me the, the feeling like the Braves are, are big in on Cease. Um, They're doing a trade. The Braves are doing that thing where they, and I think Alex works like this, where, I mean, the Kyle Wright thing was a dead giveaway. Like, you're moving on from Kyle, and that's just bad news for Kyle, because I just, it sucks. And those kind of shoulder injuries, I think, just have a bad track record of those guys ever getting close to what they were prior to that. Yeah, what, do you think? Do you think when Kyle Wright's agent told him, "Hey, so you're going to Kansas City," like <laughs> he just kind of like dropped his phone and just like walked to go stare off into the distance for a while? Yeah, I mean, it was like one of those. Oh, it's over. Like the Braves yeah. are like, "Yeah, this is done." Like because the Braves would not do that unless they were convinced it's uh it's over. Because the Braves, I don't know if you knew this or not, John, need starting pitching help in a they do big way. Although what what I find funny about the Braves is we talk about you know them being involved in 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 potential deals for C's, potential deal for Glass now, potential deal for Gilbert. But this isn't the same farm system that has allowed mm. them to make the moves that they made for Matt Olson, for Sean Murphy, 
Um, although, granted, they didn't give up all that much because the A's are run by, to be plain, idiots. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you look at the, the Brave Swarm system, their, their top... Their top prospect right now is probably A.J. Smith-Shauver, who you and I have also talked about. Yeah. And you're, you're big on Smith-Shauver for, for the year 2024 and, and beyond, and I can understand why. Yeah. But otherwise, He's like a total about... banger-bust guy. Like, there's no path that A.J. Yeah. is either, like, a number three or number four. A.J. is either an ace or he's, like, just in the bullpen and the closer or out of baseball in five years. Like, I don't but think I'll... it's one or the other. And I think that makes sense. But otherwise, like, you get past Smith-Shauver, who I think you've said pretty well is either probably a, a you know, who has that severe risk relief risk. Yeah. Similarly, you get to Atlanta's next best prospect, who is Houston Waldrop, I think has a similar, like, granted, his stuff is insane. He has that a lot better control. phenomenal splitter. Um, he also beyond... has been playing, ba- he's been playing baseball longer than his senior year of high school, which is something he has on AJ. That's, this is good. This is a good mm. thing. Um, but beyond that, you look at, and this is just looking at uh, our our prospect rankings on fan graphs through the board. Uh, we have J.R. Ritchie as their number three prospect. He was their 2022 first rounder, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, who's still quite far away. He's only 20 years old. He just got to a, he just uh, got to a ball last year. Looks like uh, Southern Tyler Clippard. That I can see that. Yeah, I can. I was going to say, is this dude from the South? He's, no, he's from Washington state. Mm. Um, I think he actually went to the same high school Blake Snell did. Um, it's a good sign. Then beyond that, you've got Dylan Dodd, who we've seen a couple times Oof. now in the majors and has the look more of like a back of the rotation guy. Uh, you've got Owen Murphy as another pitcher. The other thing worth noting is Atlanta is really, really deep in arms, just young mm. arms. And again, that's kind of the thing with the majority of the system. And I, and I should note, um, if you're going to go to these rankings now, they haven't been fully, they haven't been updated in the off season, but uh, list season is beginning is beginning shortly, so get yourself ready for that. Mm. A, a lot of these guys are very low minors lottery tickets right now. Yeah. Um, when you're talking about uh, their their top international signing of 2023, Luis Guanipa, uh, who is 17 years old, almost 18. Similar to Diego Benitez, who was their top international signing in 2022. He's just shy of 19 years old. Um, Adam Mayer, a 2022 draft pick who has yet to play professionally. Cade Cooler, who was one of their 2023 draft picks. Garrett McCabe Bauman, seems like of... he's going to draw trade interest because I think McCabe is going to force his way up sooner or later. He's got good so, power. And I, and I can understand. I think the issue that the Braves run into is what do they have to offer aside from high A lottery tickets? The the Aaron Bummer Oh, it's trade, one of the two arms. Like, that's the starter is either AJ or Waldrop. And that's what I figure. It's just I'm curious what teams would realistically be interested in that. I'm guessing you could probably build a package for a guy like Cease around Waldrop and maybe yeah. some combination of one of those young international guys. And, you know, because I get the sense Chicago has kind of understood we're not anywhere close to being a contending team. Like, we need to just pick whatever. Hold on. Let me stop you right there, can. John. Okay. You're assuming that Chicago has this long, drawn-out plan. This is this something is that point. baseball Twitter <laughs> and other, like, the really smart people, this is what they forget. When I see other, the, like, listen to podcasts or I listen to them talk about like just well that doesn't make any sense for the royals yeah you have to operate on the assumption that you can out duel the royals in a trade like why would the royals do that what do you mean have you watched the royals have you watched what the a's have done like what you don't have to do a fair trade because guess what teams make bad deals like (laughs) that's a strong possibility you're like why would they do that it's like and look because they're bad the braves already made that happen with with olsen and murphy you know they gave up effectively nothing for either yeah they could get dylan sees for dylan dodd who knows? That would be really funny. Um, I think that, but I think that's the thing with the Braves is is you have this farm system. It's a lot of guys pretty pretty far away from the minors. 
or from the majors rather. Mm. I don't think that's a, a deal breaker necessarily when it comes to getting a guy like Cease or Soto or well, they're not going to get Soto or Cease or, or, or Glasnow or Logan Soto. Gilbert. Maybe maybe there's not really a fit with Tampa because Tampa so values those guys who are close to the majors who are ready to produce right now. I mean, AJ team. I think would be valuable. Like I think they would sniff around Glasnow for AJ. I think that's possible. I think that would be a hard sell for Atlanta, though, if only I think because so I think I think Glasnow is a hard sell for a lot of teams because one, that twenty-five million dollars salary next season is just kind of bananas, and beyond that, obviously, is the fact that he is a free agent after next season. So you're really yeah. just getting the one year with him, um, and as you mentioned, and he is thirty. He is thirty. He's he has struggled to stay healthy. You know, I would be honestly kind of shocked if Glasnow drew. I think I could see Glasnow drawing a single top one hundred prospect. Mm. Or maybe like three lottery ticket guys, depending on what the Rays are feeling. I'd be su- I'd be surprised to see any. We other just why are we doing this? We know he's gonna be a Dodger. Like we know Friedman and Tampa is gonna do something, and he's just. Gonna I, well, I, in, I just feel like LA. the Dodgers are more likely to focus their efforts on Otani and Yamamoto first, mm. because all those guys cost is money, and the Dodgers have more of that than anybody. Do you think they're getting one of the two for sure? I can't say. I mean, it's impossible to know for sure because, like I've said, Otani Otani's. Uh, uh, free agency is a total mystery to everybody. Yamamoto, similarly, in that we don't really... He hasn't really expressed any preference, no. as far as anyone can tell, as to where he wants to be. It's not We haven't heard that that kind of... Who was of... the random team that popped up for him recently? Or I was like, oh, what? They're preparing for... Who was that? The Yamamoto Well, the, be... the Yankees apparently have, like, have his number available, which means something only in the sense that the Yankees have, like, five left over, like, five numbers still usable... Uh, at all so it's kind of it's that, kind of remarkable that, that, that is a what, thing. like we need to get to that point john when does that start where we start unretiring or we start allowing i think players... we're going to get to the point first where we start getting triple digits that's or maybe like a little that. asterisk like someone wears a seven but it's got an asterisk next to it oh no they have to give it up who gives it up first who's the first yankee great to lose his retired number i look i'm not saying that if it happened to Derek jeter i would <laughs> laugh myself into a coma but if it happened to Derek jeter i would laugh myself into a coma I don't think you can go most recent. I think you okay. got to stay away from that one. Yeah, well, the new, bad news for you, Whitey Ford. <laughs> Did they even retire his number? I'm, I'm just. It's a good question. A, I mean, they just. I mean, one through nine is. What what is available one through nine? Uh, nothing. I think the Yankees have retired every single single digit number that their franchise has ever had. Yeah, that's gotta. What what are you doing? That's um, it's gotta go. I away. think zero is the only one. Billy available? Martin can go. He's been fired nine times. Like he doesn't get number one anymore. No, you don't yeah. get to keep number yeah, re- one, Billy Martin. One, yeah. So it's one, two, three for Ruth, four for Garrick, yeah. five for Dimaggio, six for Tory, seven for Mantle, eight for Barra, and Bill Dickey, nine for yeah. Maris, ten for Rizzuto. So eleven through fourteen are available. <laughs> then seventeen through nineteen. It feels like you're trying to get a hotel. Twenty-two is available. <laughs> and great, I, I say available. I don't know how many of those numbers are actually also currently being used. Mm. Uh, we know 99 isn't available. That's for yep. sure. Um, maybe they'll just hand out 42 just to be dickheads. Like that's yeah. <laughs> goodness gracious. That uh, that's that unretiring. Be... And also, managers getting retired. Like, what are we doing? Joe Torre, great manager. You don't get one. Sorry. That, I, that's fair. I look. I, I look. I'm not going to defend anything the Yankees do, other than I think Monument Park is a cool idea for what it's worth. Well, I have a question about the Yankees. Do you think Yamamoto makes sense? Because I feel like that one might be like the dark horse. Where I'm like, I could really see that. People are talking to themselves in the Mets with all kinds of stuff. I'm like, the Mets don't have a whole lot. I, I don't think the Mets are I mean, going to be have, as active the Mets have this the money. And yeah, I, think... I just don't think the moves that they've made this offseason and the manager hire 
everything well, you screams don't... they're pivoting to a, a quiet re a soft rebuild you like, don't you don't think you don't think signing luis severino is the sign of a team that is ready to go 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 now yeah that just i think they're they're gonna wait it out for a couple years with the braves and the phillies to fight it out i think they're gonna they they overspent and cohen's looking at the landscape and he's like i'm gonna let stearns uh rebuild this farm a little bit and we're gonna go through a couple gap years we're gonna try like they're now uh sophomores at ithaca college where they're like hey that was a good freshman year but i don't really know what i want to major in I'm going to go travel Spain and Europe as as uh for the next few months and then I'll circle back and hopefully I have a plan when I get back. I think the so Mets, the Mets are just like the Mets yeah. are taking a gap year is what you're saying. Oh, 100%. I okay. think the Mets are planning well, on a gap year. I will say I think I think to answer your initial question, Yamamoto makes sense for the Yankees, but I think that's cuz he makes sense for like 20 of the 30 teams in baseball. Honestly, I think mm. he, he could make an argument that he makes sense for every team in baseball primarily because of his age, you know. We Yeah. I mean, there there are a couple of things worth noting about Yamamoto, and here I'll, I'll point us back to the board over on Fangraphs, where we just mm. released uh, an update for the international professionals. Uh, if you've if you're not familiar with the board or with our scouting stuff, Eric Longenhagen, our prospect guy, who's a very chill, cool dude, uh, he is just super knowledgeable about this about all forms of scouting. He's watched a lot of Japanese, Korean, and other international league stuff, so he can give you. Uh, fresh, he's, we've got fresh scouting updates on Yamamoto, on Roki Sasaki, Munataka Murakami, uh, the top Korean free agent available this offseason, Jung-ho Lee. But when it comes to Yamamoto, I think the most important thing we're noting, he is 25 years old. You know, this is not a guy where you're, you know, he's coming over from NPB and you're only going to get maybe the last three or so years of his, of his peak or of his good years before he, you know, begins the soft, slow decline of his 30s. You've got, at minimum, if he stays healthy, five or six potentially ace Cy Young caliber seasons mm. out of him. And granted, that is obviously going to be the most appealing to teams that are ready to win now, that want to add a number one pitcher to the top of their rotation. But if you're a team like, just for example, the Mets, even if you know that the next couple of years are going to be maybe closer to, you know, a, a, an 80 to 85 win team, like you said, maybe waiting for Atlanta and Philadelphia to duke it out a bit, let those teams uh, wither a bit, then come back a little stronger when the farm system is stronger. You're not wasting any of his time at that point because even if you're taking two years to just let the farm system develop, to rebuild the roster, he's still only going to be 27 years old by the time you do that. Mm. You know, you're still going to have plenty of good years out of him assuming he stays in good health. So, you know, I can pretty easily make an argument for the Mets to it. I can similarly make an argument for the Yankees. And it's also because you look at Yamamoto, he is, again, uh, we I keep talking about it because he is... I think with Otani hurt, the best pitcher available on the market right now. I mean, from our uh, from our Fangraphs uh, scouting perspective, we gave him a future value grade of sixty five. Keep hmm. in mind, you know, uh, when you when you look at just overall prospects, that's a that's the highest future value grade of any prospect in the minors. It's better than Jackson Holiday, better than James Wood, better than Jackson Churio, better than Dylan Cruz. Like we are essentially saying, this guy will be one of the most valuable players in the majors. One of probably the 20 best, at least one of the 20 best pitchers in the majors, if not one of the 25 overall best players in the majors from the very first day he basically gets here. That can so there's really no bus potential with him. I think, I mean, there is, if only because obviously no one, no one is immune to, to injury in particular. And the transition for Japanese pitchers, as we've seen, isn't the, isn't always the simplest one between the change in, in terms of rest days going from six to five uh, in dealing with the differences in the ball and the, how the because the, the Japanese ball is tackier, uh, our ball is a little slicker, and how that affects your grip, particularly when it comes to uh, breaking balls. 
hmm. with the change, especially with the change in terms of facing hitters and for, in terms of being in a league that has better scouting reports, better advanced scouting, uh, harder stadiums to pitch in. You know, it's not to say that Yamamoto is going to come here and immediately put up a 250 ERA and strike out 300 guys in 200 innings. But I think it's more to say that the upside with him is enormous and the kind that, you know, if he were available in the draft, he'd be the number one pick, you know, hmm. instantly, easily. And if he were to be, uh, who had the worst record in baseball last year? The A's? Are you talking about this past year or the year before last? Uh, the, let's just say this past year for illustrative purposes. I think it's the A's. Yeah, it's either the A's or the Royals. Um the he Royals would be the number one down pick. below them for a. They were close. I know they passed him at one point, but I think the A's. Yeah, the A's finished at fifty. Royals fifty six. Okay, so the, he'd be the number. The A's would make him the number one draft pick in a heartbeat. And yeah. you could make the argument pretty easily too that it's like he probably would be up to the majors within a year or two. Uh, but you he know? would also probably say no. Uh, sorry. Well, yeah, sure, like, but sorry, uh, no. The point of it is, any any team really can make an argument for signing Yamamoto. I think mm. when it comes to the Yankees specifically. On the one hand, sure, they have money. They could use another starter to go with Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon, uh, depending on how they feel about what they want to do with Michael King and if he's a guy they feel is ready to be a full-time starter, depending on uh, what they want to do with uh, Clark Schmidt in a similar vein, depending on whether Nestor Cortez is healthy. I think it's less likely for the Yankees to go that route, though, if only just because they have invested so much money in Cole and Rodon. I think the argument you can make for Yamamoto is that he then becomes that bridge for them to the next, uh, the next existing Yankees core, whatever that looks like. Because, and this is you know a quiet thing to note about the Yankees. This is a pretty old team, you mm. know, with the exception of some of the younger guys who have not really proven themselves or who have not really looked uh, major league caliber yet. You've got Aaron Judge who's closing in on 32. You've got Cole who's now 33. Rodon is 31. Um, you know, the, again, like even the guys like, like I've just mentioned, King and Clark Schmidt, they're both, uh, 28 and almost 28 respectively. Um, obviously Stanton is 34, uh, Anthony Rizzo is 34, DJ LeMay, who's 35, Gleyber Torres is 27, but this is probably his last year, uh, as a Yankee, he hits free agency next year and it's kind of hard to see him coming back. You know, this is a team that needs to get younger. So in that respect, I can see Yamamoto making a lot of sense. I just think in particular, when it comes to the 2024 Yankees, there's one player, well, the, the one player who makes the most sense for them as a free agent is Shohei Otani. I think far and away, he's the one that makes the most sense for them in, in every respect. But mm. I can see them pivoting to Yamamoto if they feel like Otani is not a realistic possibility. I do think ultimately, though, that the guy on this free agent market, that they're probably, if you had to give me any one guy I said, that is the, he has the best odds of, be, of, of being a Yankee, probably Cody Bellinger. Real? That's sad. I don't think Yankee fans are ready for that. Well, I think it makes sense from a roster construction standpoint of one, he's a left-handed power hitter, which that team desperately needs. They're very, they're basically no left-handed power bats on the Yankees with the exception of Anthony Rizzo, whom, as I mentioned, is 34 years old and suffered a brain injury last year. So you can't really feel too good about that one. Second, he is defensively, obviously he's a great defender, easily can take over center field. Right now, center field is supposed to go to Esteban Florial, or at least on our depth charts as we have. That's probably not going to be the case, but Bellinger fills a, a, a much needed position or has, fills a position of need for the Yankees. Again, the lefty bat from from the other side, he gives them a speed element that they don't really have either. You know, do I think it's a perfect match? No. Do I worry that the first month Bellinger hits like 190 with a 35% strikeout rate, that the fans are going to descend on him on mass and like tear him limb from limb? I do worry about that a little bit. But at the same time, if you look at the rest of the position player free agent market, there's not really another guy who makes sense for the Yankees. Again, with the exception of Otani, 
But the big thing, obviously, with Otani beyond the pay, beyond the the salary demand, is going to be one the location. We don't know if Otani wants to be on the East Coast, and mm-hmm. two the position fit of he's a DH. He's really not going to be an outfielder. They would have to do something with Giancarlo Stanton because I don't think it's wise to put Stanton in left field and go, you'll make it 162 games here, right? Great. See you in October. You know, I don't think that's realistic. Brian Cashman obviously doesn't think that's realistic either, given his comments on Stanton. So I think at the end of the day, Bellinger is the guy where, again, if I were to look at the list of free agents available and be like one guy, I, I, I think it's I think it's Bellinger more than any of one of the pitchers. And I think for what it's worth, if it is one of the pitchers, it'd be more, I would wager way higher on Yamamoto than I would on someone like Blake Snell. Really? Yeah, if only because, again, Yamamoto is younger. He's going to be a guy who's going to be around not just for 2024, but you can build around him for 2026, 2027, and beyond. Snell, already in, already past 30, you know, that Snell is, makes sense for a team that is ready to win, or at least believes itself ready to win right now. And while that should be the Yankees, I think they have other more pressing needs roster-wise, that would make him more of a luxury than a, than a necessity. Do you think he, if he was a Yankee, does he have a better Yankee career than Tanaka? Uh, Yamamoto? Yeah. Ooh, that's tough. I mean, that, I mean I'd mean, i have to, let me, because let me take a look. Tanaka, when he came over to the majors, was 25 years old, so roughly the same okay. age that, uh, that Yamamoto was. He spent seven-ish years in the majors, mm. thousand innings, uh, just shy of a thousand strikeouts, a 114 ERA plus, 374 ERA, 391 FIP, uh, and a total of 17 and a half wins above replacement. Which is what that what does that amount to per year? About 3.4. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think just based on the scouting on the scouting reports I've read and what I what I've seen about Yamamoto, I think Yamamoto would probably be better. That's high praise because Tanaka was, I think, now underrated by baseball fans. And I think I think so too. Um, he had obviously a home run problem; he could never really yeah. figure out. I think the strikeouts never really showed up uh, the same way that I think a lot of people expected, particularly given how good his splitter was supposed to be. Um, I feel I, like the issue is more he didn't last very long. Like no, that was, and, I think, and there were, just, that just stunk. Was that? Yeah, he I mean, was he solid. He left. He left the United States after his age thirty-one season to yeah. go back to Japan. Um, you know, I, I have to imagine that Yamamoto will last longer again, assuming he doesn't get hurt. Because yeah. I think that was the big thing with Tanaka was just the the health wasn't really there. But the first, mm. you know, you look at his first uh, three seasons before everything kind of went a bit uh, nutty when he got hurt. Four hundred ninety innings, uh, four hundred forty five strikeouts, a one thirty one ERA plus, a three twelve ERA, and a three fifty three FIP. That's really good. I think Yamamoto should beat those numbers though. Particularly in the strikeout in the strikeout category, I think he will be, and I think that is probably the big separator. Is that we can expect Yamamoto to be probably a strikeout and inning guy, um, which Tanaka did not quite reach. So he could be Japanese Spencer Strider. Yes, I, and that's the thing. Like again, we're talking about a guy who we have rated higher than every single existing major league prospect. You that know? should get you excited. It should. I mean, that's the thing. Any. If you want one dude to be excited about this offseason non-Otani category in terms of, you know, you want your team to sign him, it's Yoshinobu Yamamoto. That is the dude you want to, you want right now. Um, which, again, is going to make it really interesting to see how winter meetings plays out. If, again, he's going to wait a little bit to make his decision. Like I said, he's not going to be in Nashville, which is a shame. I would have loved to have gone out with him and gotten some hot chicken and see what he thought. But, uh, alas... So, I, again, that's why I do think we're going to see some pitching movement trade-wise because I think there already are going to be 
some teams that are like, you know what, you know, we've, we've touched base. Cause he, he was posted, I think about, uh, three or four business days ago. Mm. Um, I think there's some teams that probably already know, like he's beyond, he's out of our pay range. He's looking for something huge. We don't, we don't have any sense of, of what his timeline is. We just need to make a move now and, you know, and solidify ourselves in some capacity. And that's why I think especially a team like Atlanta makes sense to make that kind of trade because they're, they're, they're not a team that's going to drop $250 million on a free agent pitcher. It's just not going to no. happen. Um, they want th- control more than anything else, though. And that's why yeah, I and just, I that's think... why they like the trade stuff. It's like it's going to be somewhat like my gut tells me because Logan Gilbert and the Braves have not been connected publicly yet. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Gilbert. <laughs> well, <I laughs> it's going to be something like that. And I think that's what it makes sense a lot, too, with Cease because um, he is not going to be a free agent for another, I believe, three seasons. Uh, and he is also just now be- uh, beginning arbitration eligibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was... This last season was his first season of arbitration eligibility, so you have him for two more years. Then he hits free agency. You know, you're not really going to be paying more than, I'd say, 20 to $25 million over the next two years for him. That's very cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives the Braves a little extra buffer, too, in case Max Fried leaves after this season. Will they know, okay, well, even if Max Fried leaves, we still have Strider and Cease and whoever after that will figure it out as we go. Um, whereas with, I think, Logan Gilbert is something similar, where I think this will be his second season of arbitration eligibility. Um just double checking before I keep spouting my mouth off. No, he's actually Gilbert's even cheaper. He's still playing for the major league minimum. He's only got about two years of service time. All so of that just it, screams Braves to me. And I, which I think is funny too, because I, especially given how the Braves, or sorry, the Braves, the Mariners have been about the whole, you know, winning fifty four percent of your games and and cost control and financial flexibility. This is the dude who's gonna be financially flexible for quite some time. Mm. Um, but the problem, of course, with them is they've already got. Uh, Robbie Ray signed to a big deal. They've got Luis Castillo signed to a big deal. They've got Julio Rodriguez signed to that big extension. They're going to have to figure out uh, what they want to do with, uh, again, the George Kirby's and Jared Kalenics and uh, and whatever else. But I mean, I think Gilbert, Gilbert quietly, secretly, if he does actually go on the market, might be the dude who gets the biggest haul because there are hmm. four full years of team control left with him, including yeah. one at the major league minimum. You know, for a guy who slots in pretty well into the top half of any rotation of, of, for any contender, you know, th- that's going to be really interesting to see. If, if if you do start seeing more and more smoke around Gilbert, that too is going to be real interesting about what it means for Seattle. Because moving Gilbert doesn't really free up any money, nor does it kind of take care of any future concerns for them. Again, he's going to be cheap for a good long while. So it, it, it's for, for the umpteenth straight year, Jerry Depoto might be the most interesting man at the winter meetings, unless it's A.J. Preller. Uh, desperately trying to undo the mess he made, but when he tried to undo the last mess he made, when he tried to undo the last mess he made, I love AJ Preller, man. He's just and let us be clear, we are AJ Preller fans on this. Very yes, show. I I love AJ Preller the same way I love the Fire Festival dudes because they mm-hmm. just like remember that line uh, they dropped in one of the documentaries where one of the Fire Festival organizers said, "Just let's just say let's just let's just say fuck it and and do it and be legends." That's AJ yeah. Preller. That is AJ Preller in his head every day. Let's just do it and be fucking legends. That's what he believes. And Hasn't happened I, yet, but he's no. A and and I. look, as I was making a joke to another friend of mine, the, the Padres roster is the Fire Festival cheese sandwich, where it's just that sad, mm. you know, the sad bread and the sad cheese and the sad little salad, where it's like it just does it is just perpetually overhyped. Yeah. But I don't know. But we I, still I'm, respect it, man. Hey, in an era of not trying and trying to get to fifty-four percent wins. There's an AJ Preller here to shake things up, and we we appreciate. Look, and that's uh, the thing. Baseball, man himself. 
And, and like you said, it, that, I think it's a perfect way to put it, is when, when you have the Jerry DePoto's of the world fetishizing financial flexibility and efficiency, it's nice to have another dude who's basically Charlie and it's always sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> cutting the brake lines and yelling wild card before diving out of the back of the van. Like, that's, yes. that's what AJ Preller means to me. I love that. I don't even know how we got an AJ Preller after all. It doesn't of that, matter. But... It's the winter yeah. meetings. He 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 runs the damn thing. It's him and Scott Boris's holiday metaphor extravaganza where he stands in front of a big Christmas tree and says stuff like, "If you want to sign Blake Snell, you got to have to know that he's no snail. He moves quick <laughs> like a snake." And Does he then do everyone's stand-up? head explodes. Basically, I mean his little his little Is he winter meeting over here. I would love to meet his writer's room because yeah. I'm convinced he has to have one. Like, who who are the people coming up with these, like, Bruce like uh, Bruce le- like level, like, bad puns that he's dropping mm. on the regular? Um, that's my favorite part of winter meetings, I think, is, is the Scott Boris experience. Narrowly I mean, edging hire out. someone, like, just hire an intern to, like, their only job is to comb uh, Twitter from, like, six years ago of major league baseball jokes and just yeah. type in every player and see how many ways like and just run it verbatim i think well if he wants to hire an intern my the other my other favorite part of winter meetings is all the 19 to 22 year olds walking around in ill-fitting suits and with like mm. twenty thousand copies of their resume just you know handing them out to pretty much anyone passing by me like can you please hire me for a major league baseball job yeah. scott boris should just hire one of those kids i mean they're, they're all there right away i mean why not um John, yes. this is kind of a different question, but it, we're staying in the AL East here. I'm curious, what happened in your estimation? How would you explain what happened in the Blue Jays' offense uh, the most this year? Uh, a lot of it, I think, was just Vlad Guerrero never really got on track in any capacity. Um, I mean, if you were to make a pie chart, I'd say that's probably like 40% of it. Mm. Um, then you have to add some amount of George Springer, uh, age decline, uh, Bo Bichette's injury... Um, Matt Chapman disappearing from the month of May onward. That was a really big one. Um, they got like a six hundred, a six fifty OPS out of him for like four straight months. Really mm-hmm. not ideal. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I think that's probably the biggest chunk of it. Um, similarly, I think the Dalton Varsho trade really didn't pan out in two different directions. One, Varsho himself was not all that productive. Two, it forced the Blue Jays. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Into a situation where they were stuck with Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen behind the plate. Kirk obviously took a big step backwards last year. Jansen was hurt most of the season. Um, you know, they could have had Gabriel Moreno instead, but obviously they gave him up to Arizona for Varsho, as well as Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who I've never been uh, terribly big on Lourdes Gurriel Jr., but he's a professional hitter who, at the very least, um, gives an element. He can lengthen a lineup. That that wasn't there in Toronto really last year. Um, I'd say it was a, a confluence of things. I think if you're the Blue Jays, the biggest worry you have is 
like which version of Vlad Jr. are we getting at this point in time? Um, are we getting the MVP candidate from a couple years ago? Are we getting the guy who just hits 55% ground balls and like, you know, is just visibly not running full effort on some of these things and just whose power seems to come and go in spurts? Mm. You know, I, I think, you know, he's he's kind of the guy everything hinges around. Similarly with Bichette, I think they feel better about Bichette, who's a more steady presence. Yeah. I think the question is how how healthy can Bichette stay? Um, you know, I, I mean, the Blue Jays have, have, have definitely have questions to figure out uh, this offseason. I think the big one is, what do they do at third base? Do they bring back mm. Chapman? Do they go in another direction? There isn't really a good third base option on the market besides Chapman. Um, I wouldn't, I don't know off the top of my head if there are any trade possibilities that make sense. Um, maybe it's something like, you know, if the Reds really are interested in moving Jonathan India, maybe there's something to be done there where you kind of reshuffle the infield around him. I'm, I'm not really sure. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Toronto, Toronto's got some things to figure out, but I think a lot of it is just kind of internal in terms of we need, we need Guerrero to be better. We need George Springer to be better. We need Bichette to stay healthy. We need a, a good solid third base production, whether that's Chapman or someone else. Uh, we need a we need a step forward again from Kirk because I don't think you can trust Jansen as a full time starter as as a catcher. You know th- there are some issues, but I think a lot of them is just they're kind of expecting guys to bounce back. There's not really yeah. a whole lot I think they can do free agency wise either uh, for a hitter. I think Bellinger would be another guy I think would make sense for them um, as a kind of a full time as their kind of full time center fielder. But mm. I don't know if that's a a part of the market. I don't know if that's if they're willing to go that deep into the free agent pool in terms of spending, because, I, again, I, I don't see Bellinger signing for anything less than $150 million. And, again, this team has to figure out at some point in the near future uh, long-term extensions if they want to for Bichette and or Guerrero. So I imagine to a certain degree they kind of want to keep some of that powder dry before trying to figure out or, you know, before spending it willy-nilly in free agency. Yeah, and I don't know where they're going to go, John. I, I, I don't know either. Curious. Toronto... The Blue Jays are a sneaky, really interesting winner team to me. Yeah, Toronto, they're, they haven't been talked about a lot, I think, in part because I think last season was kind of a disappointment, and they don't really fit in that same mold of AL contender as like Houston and Texas and Tampa and Baltimore. They're they're very clearly kind of a step down. But they, more we the didn't Minnesota think that going tier. into last year because we've been all in on their core. Like the Blue Jays have really done everything right. It's not like you can look at Ross and be like, what were y'all thinking here? I mean, outside of the starting pitching, maybe that I think could the, have been I think handled. the bullpen too. I, I would yeah. I would not be surprised if Toronto put some put some real significant resources in their relievers this offseason. I know yeah. offense was a problem for them and I think they should do something there. But again, I think a lot of that is we need Vlad Jr. to be better. We need Bichette, yeah. we need Bo Bichette to stay healthy. Like there's nothing free agency wise you can do to make any of that different. Um DH like I think a bad is another... vibe team too, right? Like Clubhouse yeah. vibe. I, well, I there think... was some stuff there. I think otherwise DH would be a place that they could mm. target, and that would obviously be Otani, but I, I'd be curious to know what Otani's interest level would be in Toronto. They um, popped up, didn't they? Well, they were a weird team that popped up for Otani last I think week. Every, I think every like very uh, viable contender has popped up at one point or another. Say, I mean, the Pirates have not popped up for Otani. No, I don't think Ben Sherrington <laughs> is practicing his casual Japanese in order to address Otani and his agents. Yeah, but, I mean, I I've seen Boston it. brought up as a potential Otani. Yeah, didn't he like... Isn't that a New Balance thing? It's a New Balance thing in large part, but... I love um, the idea. And honestly, when people... Snot, like, look, let me tell you this. Here's the take. Take grass. Otani's very image con image conscious and he's very brand conscious because like he doesn't talk like he didn't talk to the media in forever he has a very like strict he has some Kawhi Leonard to him and, and not just does. because of the the I mean the new balance connection there but like 
just very quiet, very um, just, look, I'm the best player in basketball. I'm the best player in baseball. I have a lot of sway here. I'm just, I, I am here to make as much money as humanly possible. And that's just it. Like, that's what this business is. And y'all don't care about me. And this is, this is it. Like, I just, him being like, oh, there's a New Balance connection. Like, him ending up in Boston, I guess this is, this is a, me, a long way of me saying, would not surprise me if Otani, like, made a decision that was heavily influenced by, like, something like New Balance. That wouldn't surprise me. Would it surprise it, you? It, a little. It would surprise me only because I think the quality of the team around him after spending the time yeah. he spent in, in Anaheim and just seeing firsthand, like, oh, even even me and MLB's other resident demigod mm-hmm. are not enough to make a bad team good. Like, it, there's still way too much around that needs to happen around us. Mm. I also think that he is the caliber of of superstar in terms of appearance, in terms of the promotional and brand value, where it almost doesn't really matter where he ends up mm. to the point where it's like, I think, you know, yeah, it's obviously really important to him that he gets the best contract he gets and that he maintains, you know, all the, 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 the you know, the, the what's it called? Uh, the sponsorship stuff and the brand viability. Mm. That's obviously all very important to him and his team. But I think what's, you know, for him, it's like he just spent the first four or five or how many years of his career wasting away on a bad Anaheim roster, you know, that never got particularly close to the playoffs. You know, he's already, he's blown on his elbow twice. I can't imagine that there's a particularly good feeling for him about, well, maybe third time will make it all work. Um, all of which is to say, like, I, I really do think that getting close, like being on a lit on a legitimate championship contender is going to be really important to him and not just a legitimate mm-hmm. championship contender, but one that looks like, a perpetual championship contender, which is why just invariably I just keep ending up on with the Dodgers. I just think from a location roster and but location both in terms of uh, proximity to Japan, but also a, a central location with regards to American society and culture. Being in one of America's two biggest, most uh, you know, most media friendly cities, being in a place where he can expand his brand, a la LeBron James. Uh, when he joined the Lakers and kind of started to move more to that movie mobile side of things. That's not to say I think Shohei Otani is going to make baseball Space Jam, although I think that would be pretty cool. More that I think LA offers him opportunities. And it's also an area... He has he mogul can... stuff. It's the LeBron thing. He, yeah, I he... think, clearly has mogul. Like, he was on the cover of GQ Sports. Like, he's into fashion. Like, I think he's very much into fine fashion. and yeah, good. I th- yeah. And I think and I think he, he also already knows Los Angeles, or at least yeah. parts of it. Like, it, it's already familiar to him. It's, it's a team that is very clearly built to win now. It's a team that's mm-hmm. built to win later. It's a team that has a history of Japanese stars. You know, I, I, I think just everything lines up to make Los Angeles. Good weather. Yeah, great weather. It, it, just make, it just makes perfect sense to me. I think if the Padres were in a different space, I think they would probably be going after him at a level of like that would border on like harassment. Um, I think if the Mariners actually had money, we could see them making a, a really strong Otani play because they were obviously very in on Otani when he first came to the majors. But I, I just think the way it shakes out, the Dodgers have the most money. They have a need. They have a fit. You know, they're the kind of team that makes a lot of sense for someone like him. You know, they can tell him, look, pitch or don't pitch. Like, if you want to pitch, we'll make that happen. If you don't want to mm. pitch, okay, whatever. Like, you know, there's no pressure on him to be a part of that rotation right away. You know, I, I really just, I almost kind of struggle to see who else really makes sense for Otani in that way. Um, I also could just see Otani going back to the Angels. <laughs> like, after all of this, Otani going back to the Angels oh, and just signing, like, a lifetime, so... like, getting a stake where he gets the to own the team. That would be the funniest possible outcome. I think right? the only way, 
I think the only way he goes back to the Angels is if Artie Moreno gives him full ownership and control of the team. I mean, but that might be something. Like he has mobile. Look, if you're if you're an Angels fan, you are actively rooting for that scenario. You are begging the universe to make that happen. But if that popped up, where like he gets a a share of the team and he gets full ownership after he retires uh, from the Angels, like would that really surprise you? Like that's not a headline that would surprise me. That no, and I I think some deal like that. And I can trying to sell the team anyway. Potentially, I I can see him going in that Derek Jeter route eventually, where he wants to get involved in team ownership and team management but i think yeah. for now the the priority is probably going to be one make the most sign the biggest contract i can yeah. two uh sign with a team that's going to get me a world series ring because I, I have to think he knows at this point i can't win a world series by myself it's not it is simply not doable yeah. in, as a in major league baseball you can't do it he's so he's got to pick the best roster he can and to me the best roster he can pick that makes the most sense from a fit and and price standpoint is the Los Angeles Dodgers. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I kind of struggle to see anyone else who really, you know, especially too, because I think if the Dodgers have identified him as their guy, then they're going to get him yeah. because they're going to decide there is no price we're not willing to pay for this. But can they get um, him and Yamamoto? Ooh, I don't, I don't think they can do that. That, that who would is be... More, who, I mean, this is probably a silly question to be like, who do they actually need more? But I don't know. That's do a really Do they really need Otani? Like, the lineup's pretty solid. I feel like they just with their starting pitching, like... I mean, obviously, aim big with Otani, and he will hopefully eventually I, I, pitch again. But I don't I think that's I think that's the thing. It's if you feel pretty good that he can pitch again, and granted, it nobody knows at this point. Yeah. But I, I think it's I think especially for the Dodgers, who've shown pretty easily, it's it's way easier I think for them to develop pitching and find mm-hmm. it. Um, whereas someone with Otani's level of of ability as a hitter, that does not come along often. Particularly yeah. when you're a Dodgers team that is never going to draft high again, or not ever, but like you know, you're not uh, you're not getting high draft picks. You you can only spend so much money in the international market. Um, you know, you, you can only you only have so many roster spots available. You only have so many hitters you can really have there. And in particular, again, the age thing too is that for as much as yeah, they've got plenty of hitters. Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts are both on the wrong side of thirty. Otani, I think similar to what I was talking about with Yamamoto in a rotation, Otani is the guy who bridges you to the next core. You know, where for the Dodgers, I don't know what that core looks like. I don't know their farm system well enough to, to kind of talk about, oh, who are the Dodgers for like 2027 and beyond? But you know if you sign Otani, he is your centerpiece in 2025, in 2026, in 2027, all the way out, because I assume this is going to be a 10 plus year contract, all the way out into the mid-2030s. You know, this is a guy mm-hmm. you're going to depend on as your core piece for the next decade. And I think if you're a Dodgers team where your two biggest stars on offense, like I said, are both over 30, you know, it makes a lot of sense to start laying the groundwork already for what's going to come next. Particularly, again, if you're not, and again, I don't know the Dodgers farm system, but I can't imagine there's a guy who they feel in there is like, you know, of that same kind of tier where they're like, oh, no, we're just going to hand things over to this guy eventually. You know, it's not... It's not like the Nationals where they feel like, oh, well, we'll have Dylan Cruz up in like two years or whatever. You know, that's mm. our guy. You know, there's no point in us getting Otani now because we're going to have Otani. Well, the weird thing about the Dodgers, and this is what like teams do when they try and pick apart the Dodgers farm system, is that like, here's the problem. The Dodgers do development better than you. The Dodgers yeah. put them through their system better than you. They develop them in the main roster better than you. So they it's like, yeah, you can go really, raid their farm, just... but they're just better at it. And look, they, they make their mistakes and they have their shortcomings and not every player they produce is perfect, but they're just yeah. so good at this that like, yes. you know, it, it it's, and I think again, that's important to Otani too, is like, this team isn't just good now, this team is going to be good for a while because they are yeah. just very, very good at what they do. So they have the best, they have the scariest combination in baseball and they have for a long time now, which is all the money in the world and 
all the best talent evaluators and development in the world because yeah, a lot of teams rely on the talent and evaluators like because they're like oh we're not going to spend like that so we just got to win with our evaluators and develop and this that and the other daughters are like what if we have both <laughs> they're just that yeah, good. like what, what if we do us. both um it really is just wild to think about that that team has won a single world series and it was the pandemic shortened yes. season where everything felt wacky and weird and there's going to be some takes long after this uh not dynasty but this run from the Dodgers is over they're like oh what did they it's like the Dodgers were awesome for a really long time baseball's yeah. weird the Dimebacks just made the world series yeah, what, and they were 15th in point differential like what, what, what the like, what the Dodgers crapshoot. what the Dodgers prove is that baseball much like the universe is a random howling void yes. of chaos that you cannot yeah. control who cares like and if you're a Dodger fan guess what you've watched so many wins over yeah. the last decade so many wins yeah like, they'll be they'll be sad about it who cares um john taylor what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at fangraphs.com this week so if you've been reading fangraphs you probably noticed that dan samborski's off-season zips projections have started up uh for those not in the know dan takes his homemade projection system called zips mm-hmm. and uh uses it to project out what 2024 rosters look like as of well whenever it is he gets around to them i also uh, never realized the z was for his name Yes, he he likes to remind people that there's a silent Z in there. Or yeah, I never knew that. Like, I was reading his uh, primer, uh, I guess, two weeks ago or last week on Fangraphs, and reading as his, like, basically, like, to outline what it is in this history, and I was like, how did I never know that Dan actually, like, that's actually for Dan? Like, I never yeah. knew that, that was for his last name. Um, so he started running that for a few teams. We actually just ran the Red Sox today. I mm. edited and read it with gritted teeth. So keep an eye out for those. They're going to keep rolling out throughout the rest of both what's left of this month and through December. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, our prospect list season is starting relatively soon. Keep your eyes out for that. Uh, Eric Longenhagen, our, our prospect guy, is going to be uh, beginning his charting process, which also means, and I'll ring the bell now because it's before you know it, it's February. Our top 100 mm-hmm. will be here before you know it. Otherwise, we're just keeping abreast of all the news before winter meetings. Uh, oh, one other ongoing series in our in our in our brand of off-season stuff is you've probably noticed if you're a Hall of Fame sicko, Jay Jaffe's Jaws profiles have begun for this year's full ballot. Uh, we've got a couple of returning guys out of the way so far: Todd Helton, uh, Billy Wagner. Uh, I believe we just ran Gary Sheffield. We're gonna have Joe Maurer out before the end of the week. One of the one of the probably one of only two guys along with Adrian Beltre who are new to the ballot and whom I would ex- whom I would guess would be elected this year I'd say, i think beltray is a stone cold lock to be elected yeah. i think mauer is a little I, I don't think he makes it in first ballot but i think he is one of the few new guys on the ballot who will eventually make it into the hall of fame it'd be weird not to have him i'm a big believer in like would it be weird for this guy never to be in the hall of fame joe mauer is extremely weird. weird for joe mauer not to be in the hall of fame yes um it's just a, to say nothing of like you know for some reason like like I said, Adrian Beltre is a stone-cold lock to be a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I do think Maurer will get there eventually. But yeah, if you are into the Hall of Fame and that whole uh, endless boondoggle, check out Jay's profiles. They are the most in-depth profiles of Hall of Fame candidates I think that anyone runs anywhere. Jay obviously has put ungodly amounts of time and energy into researching the Hall of Fame and voting and who is in and who he belongs in. So give those a read ahead of the ballots being sent in at the end of December. We've got one month, just one. And the nice thing is no no, no more no more Barry Bonds, no more Roger Clemens, no more Kirk Schilling. The worst of the Hall of Fame debate is over. Nobody cares about A-Rod. The discourse is done. We're all, we're all safe now. The Hall of Fame balloting can go back to being boring. But check that out if you're into the Hall of Fame. Otherwise, like, Andrew like I said, we are... 
Look, I, I think Andrew should be a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's a debate for another time, but I, I got yeah, no, no beast but there. I think he gets in eventually. It's, it's not a it's not an impossibility. I think. I mean, look, we've seen guys like Larry Walker manage to get in. That that's yeah. insane to me. That dude was like had a, like fifteen percent of the vote with like four years to go or something like that, and somehow he made it to the Hall of Fame. Like, that, I'm that's, worried that's about guys nuts. like Brad Hop. <laughs> You're not feeling good about Ryan Spielberg's Hall of Fame chances. No, I don't. I'm, okay. I'm not as in on that one. That's fair. Um, but yeah, come on over to Fangraphs, ahead uh, of the winter meetings, and I'd remind you, we are covering every signing trade, major move as it happens, so as they happen down in Nashville, we, we will have our full analysis. Come on over to Fangraphs, and while you're there, if you're not a member, sign up. $10 a month, $60 a year, gets you ad-free browsing. Uh, if you sign up with a special message for me, I will personally write you a note thanking you for becoming a Fangraphs member, uh, if I remember to do that. So come on over to Fangraphs, where baseball is the thing that we're good making to be done. There you go. It's if not it a... is to be said. Just, just true. Just it's facts. Just, it's just facts. Facts only here at Fangraphs. It, it should be called facts. It should today. be called facts graphs. Fact graphs. Facts graphs. Facts. I like it. Fan facts. Everyone in uh, sports radio will love it. Uh, yes. The it's so e- it rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. John Taylor, always a pleasure, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, hello. Welcome back to Chase House Podcast. Taping this on a Thursday afternoon. The take man himself, Locked on Spartans' own <laughs> Matt Sheehan is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm, I'm actually happy. Like, we were, we didn't have any reason to be happy the last few weeks over here in East mm-hmm. Lansing. But uh, I, I come on the show with a smile because it's a new chapter of Michigan State football. The basketball team... Whatever, but I'm trying to focus on the happier things in life right now, Chase. How are you doing? You doing okay? I mean, same. I, the basketball, like playing the toughest schedule out of the gate here of any Power yeah. 5 team for Tennessee has been pretty brutal. And North Carolina sure. was rough last night. Connect, hopefully avoiding a long-term injury there Hope at the so. end. So I don't know. Like we're uh, we're just trying to survive basketball season. It's it's very Tennessee to like have the most high expectations <laughs> possible. Tom Izzo being like that's a title team and this that and the other. And then you're like, all right, uh, and it's gone. Like very New yeah. York Metsy right out of the gate here. Dude, like we, we couldn't even make it to December before we went from top five to unranked. It's like mm-hmm. look, I I get it. You want to iron forge your team, bring them through adversity at the start of the season. But like, it'd be nice to like win some games. I don't know. If it'd it be would be nice greedy. as a treat. Just, yeah, just uh, again, I don't want to be picky. I don't want to ask for too much in life, but yeah. I, I get the whole like, hey, wait till March. Like, I, I, I do like nice things yeah. in November too, every once in a while. I don't know. We're not allowed to have nice things in November, Matt. <sighs> no. No. But as you said, it's happy times right now in East Lansing. You have your coach, you got your guy. Um, it's Jonathan Smith. And my first question to you, Matt, was Jonathan Smith the right guy for the right moment for uh, the Spartans? I think so. I mean, he was at the top of my list throughout the whole coaching search, and just because of what he can provide. He provides the experience of rebuilding a program. When he took over at his alma mater at Oregon State, mm. things were pretty dire over there. It was 1-11, and that's not like a place where, oh, it's 1-11, but we have good resources. We're in a recruiting mm. hotbed. We could build this thing up. Like, no, it was a very, very difficult task he was given, and within five years, 10 wins. I mean, even less years. I think it was just three years before they were actually competitive again in the Pac-12. So that's kind of where Michigan State is at right now. It's a little bit better of a situation than what was in Corvallis, but that's because the bar was beneath Earth's crust over there. It's not great over here, but we need a guy that is just stable, has a steady hand, and knows what it takes to build up a Power 5 program 
back to national prominence because look, there's no reason for there to be a top 20 program in Corvallis. And he, he did it. So why can't he do it over here in East Lansing with the resources a little better, the recruiting a little better and the opportunity a little better as well. So he checks just about every single box that we have. There's no such thing as a perfect candidate. The one knock that we do have on him is that in his coaching career, he's never really gone east of Montana. Mm. Like, this is going to be all new to him. And he even said that as much when he got off the plane last Sunday. It's like, yeah, this I'm going to learn this place. I, I don't really know much about this place, but we're going to figure it out. Again, though, there's no such thing as a perfect candidate in today's world, but he's as close to a perfect candidate as we can get over here. Are you at all concerned about the recruiting? Because it's a, also a completely mm. different shift, right? Like Mel Tucker yeah. was like, that was the biggest sell, right? Like he didn't have a lot of head coaching experience, but it was like, yeah. oh, Kirby Tree guy, like he's going to be an ace recruiter. We have to have that against Michigan and Harbaugh and Ohio State. Like, hey, look, I mean, we might have some questions about what this team looks like under Mel Tucker and his head coaching experience, but right. I at least know we're going to get talent in the building and that he's going to be able to recruit better than uh, D'Antonio did. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would be a clown if I said, like, no, that's not a concern at all. I mean, mm -hmm. recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. Like, you have to recruit. But also what we didn't see the last four years here in the Mel Tucker era is any player, like, really develop. I, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, he got some good talent in, but a lot of these guys, even the ones that he inherited, you know, that were promising, you know, some good offensive linemen. And, hey, we have this good offensive line coach, too, here. This is great. Mm -hmm. Well, we were sold all this, and then, well, wh why are these all the same players in 2023 that they were in 2021? Like, what's going yeah. on here? So, yes, as state fans, I mean, we can't revert totally back to the age of the Mark D'Antonio era because, yes, he did develop players, but ultimately what sunk that ship is that he never really progressed in recruiting. Like, he mm. got diamonds in the rough. Oh, my God, we got this two-star kid, and we just made him an NFL talent. Mm. It's fun every once in a while. You cannot sustain a program on that, though. So, yes, while mm -hmm. Jonathan Smith has proven to work the portal to develop his players, you'd still like to see some four stars come in here and actually, you know, start with a pretty high floor, not have a low floor but a high ceiling. So it, it is going to be a concern. But, again, I, with all the other candidates out there, I, this is the guy that you just needed here just, just for stability purposes. I mean, he seems like the most stable hand and the guy that has the program building DNA in him. So yeah, it, we're, we're giving up a little in recruiting, but Hey, Michigan state does have a pretty high salary pool for assistance, just hmm. a quarter million behind what Texas A&M gave Mike Elko. And of course, Texas A&M, we all know them as they just throw money at every problem. Hmm. So if a cash cow like that is having a $11 million for a salary pool and we are at 10.75 million, you got the money to play around. So this is going to be the big first task of Jonathan Smith is who are your defensive coordinator going to be and who are you going to surround yourself with? And do they have Midwest ties and can they recruit? So it's uh, there's reason to be a little optimistic in the recruiting space, but yeah. A lot of that's like Hypo when we hired Hypo a few years back mm -hmm. now, like the whole defensive side, like he didn't have a relationship with Tim Banks. He there's some guys sure. on the staff that he didn't. I mean, he's protective of his guys. He promotes them within with QB coach Joey Halsey after Alex Kolish goes to USF. But I think you do have to be versatile. Like you're in the SEC. Like you cannot recruit. Like you yeah. like it's just you have to adapt. And it's one thing to have great NIL, but if you're a power two school now, like a lot of them are pretty similar uh, across the board. You're still having to win relationships. You're still having to win and old school recruiting uh, tactics. I'm curious because. He brings in a bunch of his staff from Oregon State offensively. Tyler Bray, or not yep. Tyler Bray is a quarterback here. What is it? Trent Bray is... Uh... Yeah, Trent Bray was the DC over there. Yes. So it'll and... be uh, Brian Lindgren is the offensive coordinator. Yes. Yep. And does he do offensive line too or no? Was he off the line? Yeah. 
Uh, coach uh, Maholchek is the offensive line coach from okay. Oregon State. He is traveling over here as well. Gotcha. So, which is by all accounts, people rave about him over in yeah. Pac-12 country. I'm reluctant because we were told our last offensive line coach <laughs> was like the best in the world, and he's going to make everyone this great NFL talent. And oh, USC tried to pull him away, and well. Goodness gracious, you talk about not developing whatsoever. Every lineman was the same person that they have been the last two to three years. So I'm a little reluctant to buy in completely, but other people Mm. are very excited with this offensive line coach. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when you look at D.C., who are the big names? Is Jim Leonard in play? Are there other guys? Like you mentioned a big salary pool um, for his assistants. Like who, who makes the most sense and who do you think is the most feasible for them right now? Jim Leonard is the name I keep throwing out just because mm. Brent, uh, sorry, not Brent, Trent Bray. I keep screwing that up. Yeah, there's Trent like Brent Bray, Bray, Trent Bray, like the Tyler Bray. It's just, yeah, it's going to take some there's time. There's too many out there. There's, there's too, too many. many. But I keep on throwing Jim Leonard out there just because his his success with Wisconsin and also will, yeah, maybe I'm panicking a little bit that we don't really have anyone with Midwest ties. So I just mm. gravitate towards that name. But another one, too, young hotshot defensive coordinator. Now, this goes against the Midwest thing. Mm. This is the UCLA defensive coordinator. I think his name is Danton Lynn, mm. son of Anthony Lynn. And he's been doing really well over there at UCLA. So if you could pull him away with a bag of cash, that'd be great as well. Others have thrown around the name Phil Parker, the Iowa defensive coordinator. Mm. He did graduate from Michigan State. So that is also why his name is being thrown around out there. I just don't see it happening because I think Phil mm. Parker – is going to be a lifer at Iowa. I don't think he has mm-hmm. any interest in coming up here, and unless it's going to be an extreme sum of money, I don't think he's going to come up here. And even if you do lure him away, it's not really the strongest recruiter. Mm-hmm. Hell of a developer. This man can develop. Oh, he could develop me into mm-hmm. a, a top three-round NFL cornerback. But, I mean, so, th- again, there's pitfalls with him as well. So those are the three names. Phil Parker, eh, Jim Leonard, okay. And then Lynn over there at UCLA. I'd be willing to take that risk. And the I think the good thing for Lynn or uh, Leonard here is, I mean, if you watch Jonathan Smith in the style, like it's ground and pound, like Martinez yeah. was just a bowling ball for them this year. They take the ball out of DJU's hands. Like he completed only like 58% of his passes. Like right. it's not like they were taken. They were just uh, dinking and dumping teams, uh, teams to death. It was a lot of running the football. It's just old school style and we're going to beat you that way. I wonder, like, because Jim Leonard, obviously a longtime DC at Wisconsin, played at Wisconsin. He was there uh, with Bully Ball, with Braylon Allen, and before yeah. all of that, where I, it seems like schematically there is some uh, there's some crossover there. And also UCLA. I mean, they're a team with Chip Kelly. Like, they're going to prioritize right. running the football and things like that. Like, I do wonder if that's going to be in uh, Michigan State's favor in terms of finding a DC because, look, you're going to have an offense that is going not going to put your, de- your defense in a hole and kind of like a high-tempo offense that makes it hard to have good stats and stuff like that. It's not playing for Lincoln or Josh Heupel and no. being the D.C. Right, yeah, and we've seen plenty of issues like that where our offense mm-hmm. is only on the field for roughly 17 seconds. And, all right, defense, no, you guys didn't even get water yet on the mm-hmm. sidelines, but get back out there. So, yeah, yeah, it'll be a nice, nice refreshing new look of a style of play on the offensive side. Uh, portal departures. Matt, who hurts the most as of right now? And where do you think uh, Michigan State's going to be active in the portal? Right now, as things stand, early Thursday afternoon, I have to say that because, God, it seems like a kid enters Mm -hmm. his name every hour around here. We're up to 14 kids this week. What hurts the most? It's a tie for me between the quarterbacks. You know, Mm -hmm. all three have left. Noah Kim, no offense. I'm not really going to lose sleep over that one. Mm Caton Hauser, he's the guy that started the last seven games at Michigan State. That one hurts a little bit just because he was so young. Was he great in those seven games? No. 
But he was a redshirt freshman. He had a lot of room to grow. And then Sam Levitt as well, who only played sparingly in four games. In those four games, rocket arm, very mm-hmm. electric. He leaves as well. So now we have an empty quarterback room. It, it, it could it could be you playing quarterback next year, Chase. So if, if your arm's feeling good enough. Can you, I interest you in a Gaston Moore? We can, we can uh, Navy Schuler sure. over here. Yeah, why not? Sure. Mm-hmm. Do they have four functioning limbs? Because at this point, this is mm-hmm. what we'll take over here. Um, now, there is hope to be had that DJ Uyungle, he just put his name in the transfer yeah. portal. Could he follow Jonathan Smith? He could. If you follow the social media of DJU's dad, maybe not expected. I don't think he was thrilled with Jonathan Smith leaving Oregon State, but... It's the other quarterback at Oregon State that uh, there's been some smoke around. Aiden Childs, true freshman, former four-star quarterback. If we can get him, then okay, all is right in the world. Now, I said that the quarterback position is a tie. That is a tie with the offensive lineman. And I just Mm. said, you know, these guys really didn't develop a lot. But if they could get legitimate offensive line coaching, these are guys that have starting experience, that would be nice. Because I don't want, let's say, for example, Aiden Childs does come here. I don't want this kid coming here and then having a Colorado situation happen where, yes, we have a talented quarterback, but he's seen four guys in his face every single time he drops back because there is no offensive line. I mean, look, I, I know our offensive line didn't light the world on fire this year. At the end of the day, though, starting experience and, hey, they get a full offseason with a real offensive line coach. I, I do get a little worried about, like, okay, I know the portal can fix a lot, mm. but can it replace a whole starting offensive line? I, I just don't know if, if that's probably not. even possible. I know. I like I know you can fix a lot, but mm. Mm. probably not. Yeah. I don't know. A lot yeah. of Ivy so League we'll guys in there right out of the gate. And I'm like, that's yeah. a big jump to ask. Hey, I know you've been playing Ivy League football for the last right. three years, but are you ready to go defend uh, against Ohio State and Michigan fronts? Yeah, it's going to be great. Correct. You're going to have a great time. Yeah, uh, surely things will just go swimmingly. Yeah, so that, well, he that's did beat us out for Stan Ramil in this last class. Yeah, that was uh, fun. Yeah, is he staying? Good times. I hope so. I know he, uh, you know, underwent surgery before the season even started. Mm. So, like, really, really rocky start to the year for him. Not just everything that happened with the coaching staff and the whole season, but man, injuries as well. At this point, is he going to stay? I, I, I just walk into this being like, mm. if there is a name that you know and love as a Michigan State fan. Just expect that he's going to enter the portal here. <laughs> I, I I don't think that we can get attached to any one name just because mm-hmm. that this is a total rebuild here. Strip it down to the studs, and kids leaving are going to be part of that rebuild. And also, mm. let's not kid ourselves here. The Smell Tucker story broke, what, eight weeks ago now? Mm. That's eight weeks for other programs to knock on the door and make some phone calls and just see how you're doing. And, hey, oh, by the way, if you were to come by my program – Here's what offers for you on the table. I, tampering happens all the time. I'm not crying about it. I know yeah. that this is just a way of life, but that that's also a reason, too, why uh, I'm not really attached because there have been ample, ample amount of times for many programs to just make their pitch to these kids uh, after the season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to do it. Like, that's part of it. Like, we're not uh, we're not making any allegations here. But guess what? Sure. There, You need bodies now. <laughs> and there has to be yeah, some inroads being made. It happens all. And if you are not tampering as a college program, well, then you're just not doing it right. You're going to fail. Like, I love the wording, though, on these anymore. beat writers, or not even beat writers, the national news outlets of, like, he's expected to blink, blink, blink. And you're just like, okay, right. we, we all know. Just like, it. <laughs> <laughs> right, like Riley Leonard enters a transfer mm-hmm. portal with a no contact tag, mm-hmm. and Pete Samuel's already saying, "Well, it's looking like Notre Dame." It's like, oh, sure, surely that's just a guess, or maybe mm-hmm. Riley Leonard grew up with Notre Dame posters on his bedroom wall as a kid. Like, we all know what's going on here. This is yep. just the Wild West, and there's no end in sight. And I hate it, but I kind of love it. So I, it. It is what it is. Yeah. 
it's going to change how we look at quarterbacks, I think, more than anything. Because so many, sure. like, because the NFL obviously has a bunch of journeymen and, like, it, you've seen a lot of musical chairs at the NFL level this year with injuries and stuff. But, like, yeah. I just think with college quarterbacks, I think you're just, you're not going to have as much time to develop. You're going to need no. to be more ready-made. But it's also, like, <laughs> I I don't know. I just, I think you're going to see a lot of guys where we were so obsessed with, like, we got the four-star in. He's going to, we'll develop him over the course of four years, this, that, and the other. I just don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I think you're going to see no. so many just sub them in, sub them out, like move on like the DJUs where it just, it's crazy yeah. how quickly. And then you find out, oh, right. He really wasn't a five-star player. Like he's, he's sure. okay. All the town, the world, but just not that guy. Like he's not uh not a Heisman type quarterback, which is okay. You can win a lot of games when you play the way that he did this past year at Oregon state. But like, I don't know. I just look at it in terms of quarterback play, like Peyton Thorne. He was worse at Auburn than where he was at uh, yeah, Michigan State. Rough. And I just, I do wonder, like, with things mellowing out a little bit, where you just have more and more data that coaches can show kids, where, like, hey, here's how many transfer quarterbacks who go from one P5 school to another, here's what their success looks like. The grass is not always yeah. greener, that kind of thing. I think that will mellow out over the years. But I just think we have so many journeyman quarterbacks who don't move the needle. People get so obsessed with these names. And I'm like, do you really right. think Riley Leonard's going to move the needle for Notre Dame next year? Like, Sam is pretty good. Like, I don't think it makes him a title contender. They won nine games. Like, maybe get to yeah. 10. But it's not. Look at the playoff this year. Like, Carson Beck, ready-made guy. Jalen Milrow, ready-made guy. Um, J.D. McCarthy in the system. Yep. Kyle McCord right there in the system. Quinn Ewers. You can call that a transfer. I'm not calling the Quinn Ewers. That was a I'm taking a check to go to graduate early and stuff. I don't really call that a uh, a transfer. And you just look at who's in there. Um, Jordan Travis before the injury. Sure. The best way to do it is still high school kids and develop. But I just think we're gonna people are gonna get so obsessed with seeing the quarterbacks who enter the portal and like oh it's madness. I'm like it's just a bunch of like Kirk Cousins. Not no offense as the Michigan State guy, but you're just seeing a bunch of Kirk Cousins. And I love Hendon Hooker. I love him to death. A great quarterback for us. He was awesome. But like Nico is still the most important Tennessee quarterback since Peyton Manning. And that's still, if you look at the most successful programs in the sport, they're still developing their own guys. And they're still the long-term answer there. And it'd be great if it was 10 years ago. Like MSU would be in a Mm -hmm. really nice spot because, hey, Caden Hauser, he's your redshirt Mm -hmm. freshman. He has some starting experience, but right behind him, giving him competition all offseason is true freshman Sam Mm -hmm. Levitt. And, hey, whoever loses, they're going to be the backup all year in case someone gets hurt. But, like, that's – it's it's not reality. Like, that's – it's not 2013 anymore. Like this is today's college football, and um, things are not that great in the quarterback I realm. Mean, for Tennessee Michigan State might fans have right literally a true freshman four-star quarterback next year as the backup, and the starter as a quote-unquote redshirt freshman uh, in Nico Yamaliava. Like, yeah, th- that, like that's just a crazy place to be in in terms of injury and like where things could go, and just super young, and that's just it's just hard. Roster uh, construction is just I, I don't envy the situation that most of these college coaches find themselves in. Okay. Um, yeah. Who do you think is the most important guy to hold on in the 2024 recruiting class for Michigan State? Who do you think Jonathan Smith's priority one to keep in this class? Yeah, it, it's an easy answer for us. It's four-star wide receiver Nick Marsh, and mm. he is going to stay. Like, he just went on the record and said, I'm sticking with Michigan State. Like, I had a conversation with Jonathan Smith. So, like, mm. he is locked in, which is very nice to, to have because, you know, for a few reasons, not only what he brings to the field. I mean, he, right now, there's enough receivers also in the portal too, where Nick Marsh can be wide receiver one as a true freshman. Mm. Like he's good, and he's a pretty good dynamic player. I mean, he's key on Coleman light right now. Mm. I don't want to, you know, say he's going to be a top ten pick right off the bat, but really good at high point to the ball, good jump all option, downfield threat, and then also just what he means for regionality too. Like this is a Detroit kid. He is a local kid, so it's nice to just keep one of these guys. So that 
that is very nice. Now, there's a running back down south, too, Anthony Scuda Carey, who decommitted a week ago or a week before Jonathan Smith was hired. There's smoke billowing that a budding relationship might be back in the fold here. So that'd be nice because, again, that'd be a nice playmaker to have as well. And am I a little PTSD-y right now because we just saw no less than 13 running backs uh, get hurt this year? And, yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. But I like him as a backup running back option as a true freshman and Nathan Carter uh, up here as well. So that'd be nice. Two offensive skill position players, which I know is weird because, you know, usually success is built in the trenches. But those two guys, just because they can have instant impact next year, I think. I like it. Um, who's left on the board? Who do you think is the most realistic big target left that Jonathan Smith should be able to get involved in in this class? Yeah, I'm going to go actually to the trenches right now, and I'm going to go with an Oregon State commit right now. His name is mm. Rustin Yun. He's a four-star offensive tackle, the only four-star in Oregon State's class. Now, what makes it hard is, you know, just the whole flipping this and that. Mm. But this man is from Hawaii. Yep. Now, I know that planes exist. I know that there are many ways to travel from point A to point B. But, oh, my God, that is far from home. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. I know he wants to visit Michigan State before early signing day. I just really hope that it is at least a mild day of weather here in East Lansing, like a nice 48-degree day, sun shining, not a lot of wind, because I would hate for this kid to touch down at Lansing Airport. And then, oh, God, it is 18 degrees, it's a blizzard, and it is downright miserable here. And, look, I, I don't know how much weather impacts this kid, but, hey, after hopping off a 10-hour flight, touching down your feet to some snow on the ground – that might really hit you. Okay, I'm really far from home. Yes, I know I like Jonathan Smith. Yes, I know I like this offensive line coach, but whew, oh my, uh, this might even be a stretch too far for me. So things are looking good for the Rustin Young flip, but man, I, I, I get very nervous very easily, but uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, the, the whole situation I just painted is hard for me to ignore right now. I like it. Uh, final thing, and I'll get you out of here, Matt. Yeah. Why Jonathan Smith will work? at Michigan State mm -hmm. and why Jonathan Smith will not end up working out at Michigan State. So you heard me talk about how he built the program, right? He went from 11-1 mm -hmm. and one to 10 wins in five years, but also the position that he can take under his wing as well. He's a former quarterback. He has revived DJU's career. Aiden Childs looked pretty good as a true freshman. Mm -hmm. He is a solid, solid quarterback developer. And Mark me as a casual for this, but that's that's the most important position on the field, I would mm. say. You would like a good quarterback more times than you would not mm. have a good quarterback. So Generally that speaking, is, yeah. you know, you just, yeah, not, not to go full casual here, but I would like a good quarterback. So mm. it's for that reason right there. Also, just how well his staff has developed. And I know mm. I talked about being gun shy to just blindly trust that everything is going to work out based on what we saw with the last staff here. But at least with the guys that Jonathan Smith has brought in so far, he's bringing in four to five guys right now. All four or five of those guys have a proven track record of developing kids into NFL talent at a place where it is very hard to do so. Like yeah. Jonathan Smith did all of this without ever having a recruiting class in the top 50 in Corvallis, which is hmm. that's damn impressive. In the shadow of Washington, the shadow of Oregon, USC, if you want to call it that as well. Yeah. It's uh, it's 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 something else that he was able to have that much success. So that's why just program building and the positions that he can develop as well. I like it, Matt. What can the go check out from you across Locked On Spartans this week? 
Uh, yeah, locked on Spartans. We're talking recruiting. We're talking all things Jonathan Smith. And then when that round orange ball hits the hardwood again next Tuesday against Wisconsin, we'll talk about that as well. But right now, mm-hmm. football is king here. So, uh, yeah, it's it's all Jonathan Smith 24-7 here at Locked on Spartans, basically. There you go. Go subscribe today if you're not already. Matt, keep up the great work, sir. And uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. You got it. Great talking to you, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.